The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Uh, my name is Tracy. Um, I've been going to Story City for two years. Um, you probably know me as that tall chick. Um, <laughs> Um, And I will be reading the scripture for today. Um, We're grateful that God has given his word to us. At the end of our reading today, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to respond, thanks be to God. Um, So please all stand for the reading of God's word. (laughs) Today we are reading from Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go. I am sending you to my Pharaoh, to, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Who should I tell him? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, tall chick. You killed it. (laughs) Good morning, Story City. How are you guys doing this morning? Happy Sunday to you. Thank you, Story. I see that you're here. It's always a pleasure. We are so glad that you guys are here. Welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. We say Burbank location because we do have a Granada Hills campus. We got some exciting news about that going on, and so we will share that during the partner meeting today. 
And though we're meeting together right now and online because of COVID, we will be relaunching uh, Granada Hills shortly. And so we are very, very excited about that. And as, as a family of churches, a collection of churches is one family, we have the same mission, and that mission is to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and people. Healthy being the key word there. That's really, really important to us. And so how do we do this? Well, partly we do it by raising up, by discipling people. It's a, it's a biblical thing. Jesus told us to do it. And so discipling people, raising up um, and sending out church planters and church planting teams by revitalizing dying churches. It's uh, what happened with First Baptist Granada. We're excited that we're going to continue that mission. And then loving and partnering with other expressions of God's kingdom in the city. Last night, Radius Church met here and had a snow machine. It was incredible. They had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we thought about continuing to borrow it, but it doesn't make much sense in the middle of the day as it does at night. It was, it was much more uh, impactful then, so that was really cool. But anyway, just so you know. Um, speaking of healthy relationships with our neighbors, uh, the city of Burbank is partially following L.A. County's rules. And so while you do not have to show vaccination status when you go indoors to places, you do still have to have a mask on. And so uh, we know that some of us are just against that. Some of us are cool with it. Some of us are saying, why are there not more masks being worn? The reality is that, uh, that it is the rule for the city, and we want to follow that rule it's, uh, it's, it's inconvenient, but it is what they've asked us to do. And so we would just ask that you would continue to wear your masks indoors. Um, that would be helpful for us. We know that, uh, that if, you, if you just can't, you've got a medical issue, it's just not what you want to do. We have provided a place outside that would accommodate that. We do have uh, the tents out there, the chairs out there, the TVs out there you can watch. And we will be working on getting some heaters for the colder times. And so we want to make sure that we have let you, known, uh, let you know about that. Uh, one of the cool things I forgot to share with you guys last week is that in the lobby, we actually have highlighted two of our artists. And so if you haven't seen it, um, two of the artists from our congregation have art up uh, for sale up there, but we'd love for you to see it and to support the artists that are in this community. It's important for us to take care of our own, uh, but it's also important for us just to enjoy the, the level of work and creativity that, that you guys have. It's pretty neat. And so go check out the family art in the, uh, in the lobby when you get a chance this week. All right. Let's pray and then we'll get into our message for the day. Father God, um, man, I just feel like there is a lot going on in my mind and my heart this morning. And, and Lord, there's nothing worse for me than to be a distraction to you. And so I ask that this morning you would just help me to be clear, to point to you and everything as the hero of our stories, to um, be able to express what you've asked me to express in a way that honors you, that lifts you up, that brings glory to you, that helps us to understand and know you better. I pray that we would not leave here without having a, a more true and clear picture of who you are, that we wouldn't leave here without having ways we can go and, and begin to engage you more clearly, more effectively, that we would know you and know how to express even who you are to others better. And so would you move in our hearts and minds, Lord? I know that my words can do nothing, but your spirit is everything. And so, Spirit, we just trust you to move on upon our hearts this morning. We thank you for the ways that you have prepared us already. We pray that you would, again, move mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, did anybody have an interesting middle name or story as to why you had that middle name? 
Everybody had an interesting story. Yeah, that's, that's true. What do you have? Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for letting us know. Ah. All right. So no choice. No choice over that. I I uh, I don't foresee kids getting a choice in their name anytime soon. But it is an interesting, uh, you know, thinking about that stuff later in life, uh, sometimes we don't, we don't do that. That's, that's a good one. Anybody else have an interesting story with your middle name or somebody else's middle name you heard? Yeah. Aaron after Hank Aaron. Tyler after Ty Cobb. And your parents were really hoping you played baseball. And you never played a day in your life. That's... I happen to know that you're a pretty intelligent guy, so parents, remember, sometimes you get athletes, sometimes you get mathletes, and that's, that's okay. Tyler, you're, you're an awesome dude. <laughs> what else? Anybody else? Yes? My middle name is Jean. Jean? And I'm a Florida's parent in Arkansas. Your middle name would be Dean, Dean, or Lee. Gene, Dean, or Lee. There you go. That's, that's true. That's true. I like that. Samir, you're telling me that, you, uh, that your culture has a tradition. What is that tradition? In the Arab culture, your middle name is always your dad's first name. Daughter or son, doesn't matter? Your sister's middle name is also your dad's name. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Crystal's not here this morning, is she? I was going to say, obviously, you wouldn't be sharing this if Crystal was here this morning. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, I have uh, a little bit of an interesting story. Some of you guys know, some of you don't, but I was not born Jared Ocelier. That was actually not my birth name. I was actually born Chance Castro. Chance Castro. Uh, back when I thought I was going to be a musician for the rest of my life, I really wanted to start a band called Chance Castro and the Dictators. That was going to be my blues band. <laughs> just thought that was going to be amazing. My music career didn't work out. <laughs> Neither did the name, so it's all good. But um, no, uh, my mom and my father got divorced when I was about nine months old. My mom remarried when I was five, and my stepdad adopted me. And when my stepdad adopted me, he actually switched my first name and my middle name. So while I was born Chance Jared Castro, uh, my name is now Jared Chance Ocelier. Some of you know my son. You can hear him. Uh, his name is Chance, and that was our way of kind of getting that name back but not doing a junior thing. So Chance is, uh, is my middle name, and that's a story about it. Did you know that the people of Iceland do not use family names, last names? The people of Iceland do not use family or last names. In a 2013 article in Wall Street International Magazine, author Katharina Huppmann says, Iceland has a few peculiarities when it comes to names. First of all, Icelands don't have family names. Secondly, one cannot take up the spouse's last name upon marriage. Thirdly, and this is an interesting one for those of you who have just had babies, when naming a child, one must stick to a limited list of names. The last name of male Icelanders usually ends in the suffix son, and that of female Icelanders is daughter. For example, Iceland's current president is Olafur Ragnar Grimson. 
His first name is Olar, Olfer Ragnar, and his father's first name was Grimmer. So Grimmer's son. Olafur's daughters are thus Gundren, Tina, Olaf's daughter, and Savanhilder, Dala, Olaf's daughter. And it's common not to name a newborn right away, but to wait for a certain period of time to get to know the child. Uh, usually this period lasts about three months, but sometimes even longer. Until the naming, the child simply goes by Stolka, girl, or Strocker, boy. When choosing a name, the parents, like I said, have to stick to a legal list of first and middle names. Currently, there are only 1,712 male names and 1,853 female given names on the list. That's a lot of people and very few names to have to go around. Now, the reason they do this is to protect Icelandic culture and traditions. But even with a limited number, the names are significant. And as a parent, uh, you put a lot of energy and effort, or you should, into the naming of your kids, right? And for some of us, though, our name is about more than that. Some of us are thinking, well, I don't have kids, but you might think about the name you're trying to make for yourself. Some of you had to wrestle with what your stage name is going to be what you're going to represent yourself as to other people, what, what that's going to look like. Some of you wonder about your legacy. Will my name go on? For example, in my life, my son will not marry. He's special needs, and my daughter will most likely take her husband's name, and so it'll be up to my brother or my cousins to continue the Ocelier family name. But I want you to think about something for just a moment, that every one of you was given your name. There was some hope or idea that, uh, that the parents had for you, like in this Icelandic culture when they say they wait three months to get to know the personality of the child. There was some sort of hope. We, we want to see who this person is and then name them. God, however, has always existed. And since he's always been, the names he revealed to humanity are not the things that we hope God would be, but who he is and how he reveals himself to us shows us his character in the meanings of those names. And so if you're taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. And that is, is that God's name is his word. God's name is his word. There's a promise in it. It means something. God's name actually stands for something other just, than just an identifier. Now, my daughter's name is Kylie Elizabeth. We, we were, she was born in Hawaii, uh, Hawaii. Hawaii. The proper way is Hawaii, right? But I say that and people are like, what did he just say? Um, Hawaii. <laughs> the English way of saying it. Uh, and uh, it's spelled K-A-I-L-I. -I, so it's spelled a little bit different. But it means blessed by God, full of grace. Blessed by God, full of grace. And it was our hope for our daughter that she would live in the fullness of what we named her. That people would very clearly see Jesus in her and that she would exemplify both the grace of God and be a woman who models grace to other people. That was our hope and our desire when we named our daughter. But do you know that God uh, reveals his names to us in the same way? That, that again, they aren't just things we hoped he would be, but they're his word, the promises of who he, who he is and, and what he will do. And today we're looking at one of the most important moments in all of Scripture, it's a moment that a man named Moses encountered the living God. Now we call these moments 
when humanity sees a physical appearance of God on earth, a theophanies, it's a big word, theophanies. But even more than that, we're going to see a Christophany or an appearance of Jesus before he took on human nature and was born into our human race. Jesus has always existed, and so this isn't just a theophany. This is also a Christophany, and so the appearance of Jesus before he took on a human nature in addition to his God nature. So go back with me again to the book of Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to read this again. I want to pull out some things for us here. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. Okay, so we just want to remember this. Keep this in the back of our mind. As Moses looked, something was startling enough to him that he sees this. He says, something's happening there. He sees the bush is on fire, but it's not consumed. I don't know about you guys. That's unusual. And in case you weren't sure, it was unusual in Moses' day as well. (laughs) Things, when they were on fire, burned up and went bye-bye. They did not just stay Uh, And so this was unusual for him. So Moses thought, verse 3, I must go over and take a look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. This is interesting. Do not come closer. He said, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So this tells us it's not just a voice coming out that he's afraid to look at God. He sees something happening here. There is something in that that we need to pay attention to. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then... Um, Good job on all these hard words right here. We have the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Jedinites. Oh, wait, that's not. Sorry. What Bible am I reading out of? So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he answered, I certainly will be with you. And this will be the sign uh, to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring your people out of Egypt, you will all worship God of this mountain. So God says, hey, go do this. There's going to be a promise that comes with it. And Moses is hemming and hawing. He's like, I, I don't know if I really want to go back there and face all those things. And so these are all excuses. And then so Moses gets to another excuse. And he's like, I don't even know who you really are. And so Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, If you remember, one of the last things that Moses said to the Israelites was he had uh, seen two of them, uh, seen them being beaten by uh, an overseer, an Egyptian overseer. He had killed him, buried him in the sand. The next day he sees two of them fighting. He goes to talk to them and he says, hey, don't fight. And they said, who made you Lord and judge over us? And so this is the last experience. And, And part of him is afraid. He's saying, if I go back and talk to them, what authority am I going? Because I'm not their Lord and judge. Those words are seemingly still echoing in Moses' ears. What's his name? What should I tell them? Verse 14, God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Um, Again, just as in today, that would have been a semi-confusing answer. 
I am who I am, okay? God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. Now, there's, there's a couple of reasons, aside from just being afraid and not wanting to go back and face those things. Uh, Moses is also asking for clarification here, and there's a reason for that, that most people on earth uh, at this point were not monotheistic, Right? In fact, the Romans actually called uh, Christians, uh, they, they called us atheists because we didn't believe in enough gods. They said, you guys are atheists. You don't believe in all these gods. They said, no, we, there's only one God. They're like, that's silly. Why would you only have one? And so what we have to understand is that people of this day had a God for just about everything, a God who handled the rain and the crops, the God of fertility. It's even been, been rumored that the Romans had a God who looked after their boots and equipment. And so if something went wrong, if a bootstrap broke, it was because you had offended that particular God. And so you had to find a way to make recompense. You had to find a way to appease that God, to understand what you did wrong, and then make some sort of sacrifice to that God. Can you imagine trying to keep track of 150, 180, 200 different gods that you might somehow offend? And sometimes they actually went against each other. Even more confusing, the gods were territorial, they believed. And so if I'm from one nation, I had to pay attention to the gods of the territories that I'm trying to conquer because I want to make sure I don't offend them or I want to make sure that I've already checked and found out that my God is more powerful than your God in your territory. And so I had to be kind of careful and cautious to where those boundaries were. And so when Moses asked God to reveal his name, he's asking God to differentiate himself from Egyptians' gods and define what kind of God he is. Moses can then communicate that to the Israelites so they know this God is powerful enough to rescue them from the Egyptians and the Egyptians will fear this God enough to release the slaves. But God responds here with this, I am who I am, which means I am all I am and everything I am makes me who I am. In other words, I am not so small that a category or territory or location can limit me. I'm a God bigger than all of those things. I am bigger than all of those silly things you call gods. That's what that name means. I am all that I am. Everything that I am is encompassed in who I am, and I make everything that I am. I'm everything that is needed. There is nothing apart from me. This is a powerful statement when he says this. He's saying, I am everything. And yet throughout the scriptures, God does reveal more than this name to us. He reveals names like Elohim, which means creator, the God who is powerful enough to actually speak creation into existence. Yahweh Rapha, which means the God who heals Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Jehovah Raha, which is the Lord is my shepherd. Or Emmanuel, which means God with us. And many other names that point us back to him, the one true God. And so at this moment, Moses is told he is speaking to the God above all gods, the God who is all that he is, Yahweh. Now earlier I said this is one of the most important moments in Scripture because God's word never changes. And so this moment wasn't just important for Moses. It's actually important for us today, too. You see, at this moment, we see an amazing picture of who God is and what he's done, 
who we are in light of that and what we are called to do. Let's go back to that moment in the desert. Let's go back to verse 1 again. We'll go through verse 6. I want you to see this again. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding his flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within the bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire but not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses answers, here I am. Do not come closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, first question, did Moses find God or did God find Moses? God found Moses, right? Moses isn't just wandering and is like, hey, uh, let me light a bush on fire and see if I see God. Right? Moses is minding his own business. He's tending the flock. He's out there doing his thing. And all of a sudden, he sees a bush on fire. And he's like, something up with that. It's weird. They go over and take a look. And then God meets him in that moment. And so one of the things we learn right from the start is that this God, Yahweh, who has identified himself as I am, is a God who pursues us. He comes after us. He doesn't say, hey, try and go up to the highest place and be good enough, and then you can find me. And maybe I'll let you, if you're worthy enough to find me, if you've done some sort of cool quest, No, God comes and meets us right where they're at, even if it's in the middle of a desert in a burning bush. Let me show you something else. I said earlier that this was both a theophany and a Christophany, and so take a look again at verse 2. It says, the angel of the Lord was there. Now it also says that God spoke from the bush. Now in Scripture... The pre-incarnate Jesus, or Jesus before he entered humanity by taking on a second human nature, is often called the angel of the Lord. To be clear, though, Jesus is not an angel. There are some um, religions that claim that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers, that they are, uh, well, only one religion, but they are brothers, and that they are both angels and demigods, and that there is only one God above them, and and they fought over who was going to be good and who was going to be bad. That is not what Scripture says. And so that's not what we're talking about, what it says here. It says the angel of the Lord. So what is this talking about? Well, we know it's not just an angel because the being in the bush calls himself God. And he demands Moses take a posture of worship by removing his sandals. Now, in the Bible, only God can accept worship. The angels cannot. In in several different places, we see that uh, the angel tells Paul and John not to worship them as only God can accept worship. And so why is the term angel of the Lord used. The word there is the messenger of the Lord. That's the word for angel, means messenger, messenger of God. And so angels are called angels because that's their job description. They are messengers of God. Now, in John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Word of God. He is the messenger in word at this moment and will, in the New Testament, become the physical messenger because he is God. And so the word of God, the name of God, the message of God speaks to Moses from the bush. You guys still with me? All right. The name of God, the message of God speaks to Moses from the bush. That is Jesus. But this whole thing is important to us because it's also a picture for us to understand. You see, the bush actually represents on one level the nation of Israel. On another, the larger church throughout history and ultimately those who are apprentices of Jesus. 
Because he's in the bush, it was not consumed. Now for the nation of Israel, Jesus was in the bush the same way he was with them in their struggles against the Egyptian people. He was with them with the pillar and the cloud that went with them in the wilderness. In the same way, he is with the church. He says he is with us always. And then he says the gates of hell will, hell will not prevail against his church. Now for us individually, we are told that Jesus in us is the hope of glory, the one who dwells in our hearts and leads the entourage in which we are covered in the grace of his redemptive love and justification. And so the God appeared to Moses, the God who appears to Moses tells us that his presence in our lives is, he is who he is, that it's all that we need. And so if you're taking notes today, this is our second observation for the day. As apprentices of Jesus, we are both transformed and renamed. As apprentices of Jesus, as we become people who follow Jesus, we are transformed and renamed. Now remember, Moses wasn't just meeting God here for some random hello, right? This wasn't just a, hey, just wanted to remind you I'm out here. You know, hey, don't get too far away from me in your thoughts. God is, is not just meeting him here, but God is calling him to something. God calls Moses to something. In the same way, God meets us and then calls us to his mission. He reminds us who he is, is the one with us. And then like the fire, the burning bush, and the ground that suddenly becomes holy, he purifies us and makes us holy as well. And he does this not because of who we are or anything we've done, but he does this because of who he is. Now, Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we would say if anyone apprentices Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. And at the end of time, Jesus speaking in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 17, says, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. We are justified in Jesus when we become his followers, his apprentices. At that moment, we have been saved and then we're in the process of this purification. Uh, the, the, the word that Christians use is sanctification. It's that big Christianese word, sanctification. It's this process of being purified and made holy for the Lord. We are being saved. We have been saved. We are being saved. And someday when God sets all things right, we will be renamed as the final confirmation of who God says we are. We will be saved. Amen. Amen. As we become followers and apprentices of Jesus, we're adopted into the family of God and we're given new identities. This will be secured and sure uh, the, the moment we do it. This is what justification means, that we don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to lose our salvation. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to uh, fall away. That's, that's not the case, that God has adopted us. He can't, we can't lose what hasn't been ours in the beginning. Can't lose something we didn't own. It was God's salvation, not ours. God saved us. It still belongs to him. And therefore, we can't lose what wasn't ours in the first place that we didn't do. And so we are now adopted in this final name ceremony, almost like my name being switched happens at the end of time when all things are done. It's already been made official. This is here, but that name given to you is the name that will be given to you at the end of time. We'll have that new last name. And like that uh, last names of the people of Iceland, it will reflect our father, son of God, daughter of God. 
When you become an apprentice of Jesus, you are the beloved son or daughter of God. But how do I know? One of the questions I get a lot is, how do I know if I am actually saved? And uh, I can't answer that question for you. Only God can answer the question. But one of the things I would point you to is to say, change. The gospel always requires change. The word of God requires change. When we experience it, when we encounter it, we encounter God, we cannot leave unchanged. And so I would say that the, the word of God, as we get to know who the word of God is, Jesus, we become more and more like him every day. That doesn't mean we won't struggle and sin. We're gonna struggle with sin until Jesus returns and sets all things right. But if there is no change in your thinking and your love for others, if there is no evidence of character change in the deepest parts of your soul, if there is no change in your desires for the things of God, then I would say we would definitely need to say, Lord, am I really apprenticing you? See, some of us were told, all we have to do is show up on Sundays and try really hard to be good the rest of the week and God will accept our efforts. But remember, nothing of our own effort is good enough to bring about our resurrection from spiritual death. We can't raise ourselves from the dead. So it really doesn't have any impact on how good we do. Another way of saying it is this. I would say sitting in church trying to be good doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage and humming makes you a Tesla. <laughs> or Prius, take your choice. See, apprenticing Jesus is knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus as the Holy Spirit transforms us day by day. The Bible says that day by day our minds are renewed. That means that literally God is helping us change the way we think, changing the things that we value. And just like when, you're kid, when you were a kid and your parents marked you on that door sill, right, the, the, the door frame, they try to see how you were growing. We don't always notice the growth right away. Sometimes it's, it's just there. And you're like, oh, what, what just happened? I just grew up a little bit. Wow, I can't. Oh my goodness. Or sometimes we don't even see it. Other people point it out in us. Man, you know, you're different. And so the Holy Spirit continues to transform us day by day. If you're taking notes today, this is our third and final observation for the day. God's name reminds us of what we're called to do in light of who he is. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we in light of that? And what are we called to do? Um, highly recommend that you go back and, and look at that. If you didn't, if you missed it, it's good. But, but we are called to something. We aren't just saved from sin. We are saved for God's mission. We are called to a new life with a new purpose. And that purpose is to know and love God and to know and love people and help them know and love God and know and love people. Like the burning bush, we're made holy and pure because of Jesus in us. And so the question is, how is our lives, like the burning bush, drawing people not to the bush itself, but to the fire that is in that bush, to Jesus? And the problem for us typically is not a lack of desire to tell people about Jesus. It's the way that we share Jesus that so often hinders people from coming to Jesus. There is a way that we can share and proclaim and model Jesus that turns people away from Jesus, not draws him to Jesus. The truth is that a lot of the people I've encountered are actually not opposed to God. They actually just don't understand why he matters in their life because so many of the Christians they know, their lives aren't any different. And so why would I follow a God that seems so irrelevant 
Why would I follow a God that seems like there's no change in your life? This means nothing to you. Ultimately, why would it matter to me? And so the world is still devoid of him, whether you say he is there or not. And more often than not, we've shared the truth of God in a wholly unbelievable way. And, and, and for those of you guys who are apprentices to Jesus Church, we so often, we so often paint a terrible picture, picture of who Jesus is and what he's done. It is bad, and we have to own that. Like We've done that. But the good news is that God still moves because God is good, and we are not. And God is still redeeming human history even when we're not good. And God is still redeeming us. And so the reality is, is that even though we are not good at this, God is still at work in us despite all of this. Doesn't that bring hope to all of us? Man, See, the reality is, is that Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins. That's just one part of the story. The story is that he is alive and living in us who are following him, who are apprenticing him. He is renewing us and transforming us day by day. We don't have to be stuck in who we have been. And this is why God revealing his names to us matters so much. Because not only does it, is it help us identify who we are in him, but it helps us to, to, to uh, help others understand this. And so if we're people who are feeling alone and abandoned in life, we need to know that the God in the Bible is El Rawi, the God who sees me, who knows me, who loves me intimately. For those facing possible health situations, we need to know that the same God is Elohim, the God who's powerful enough to create all the universe and design humans. And he's also Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah Nisi is our protector or our banner who has kept us alive when we should be dead. He is Emmanuel, the God who is present with us. The God who is with us despite the fact that we could never make it up to him or reach his standards and still yet he came to make himself relationally available to us in and through Jesus. Our lives all point to something. Even those of you here who aren't followers of Jesus yet, your lives point to what you believe in. And some of us have spent our entire lives trying to get people to look at the bush and not the fire that's inside because we can explain the bush, we cannot explain the fire. So what do we do about it? If you want your life to point to the fire inside Jesus, we have to first ask God to help us to, be a want, to, help us to want to be about that fire. You start there. God, help me to want to be about you. How many want to be about you? And those of us who, who feel like, yeah, I, I'm there. There's so many areas of our life that are still not about him. This is not a, a battle that, that goes away overnight. It's continual. It has to be subjected every single day. Second, we get to know who he is by talking to him and listening to him in prayer. Some of us are good at the talking part, not good at the listening part. We read his word, the Bible. Why? We read the Bible not to get smarter, but to know Jesus. Jesus says, you read the scriptures, they're about me. And we get engaged in gospel community where we do life with those who are learning to love God and people. And we learn how to be stretched and challenged and grown by, by interacting with those who are in gospel community as well. And lastly, this is hard for some of us, we invite people into the messiness of all of that. We have to invite people into our lives, into the messiness of it. Our lives aren't put together despite what we want people to think. Our houses are not as clean as when people show up. <laughs> I 
And it's okay. It's okay. We need to be able to, to, to open ourselves up and be honest and transparent about who we really are. People who are being redeemed. People who don't have it all together. People who are walking a journey and saying, I don't, I don't know, but you know what? God has got me. And I'm just trying to figure this out as he takes me along with him. And you know what? Why don't you come with me? It's messy. I don't even know where we're going, but let's go. We have to invite people and be willing to let people be a part of that gospel community where they, they can be in those messy places because that's where we really are. I have this theory. You guys know I'm, I'm newer to L.A., right? Uh, I'm a Cali boy through and through, but I'm new to L.A. And, uh, and so somebody was asking me, you know, what's, what's it like from, you know, coming from Northern California and being in San Diego? And I said, well, you know, here's kind of, here's kind of my thoughts. So this isn't the Bible. This is just Jared, right? Like, you, you know. Take it for what it is. But coming from San Diego, there's just this sort of like, eh, whatever. That's just the attitude. You, you, you go around San Diego and it's kind of like, eh. Now there's pockets, right? We're generalizing. Okay, you guys with me? The moment you hit Orange County, and I'll tell you, San Clemente is the last holdout. I love San Clemente. It's the last holdout. The moment you hit Orange County, those of you watching online in Orange County, I'm sorry. I still love you. I know you're moving there, Bob, but it's, I'm sure I'm sure it's to bring the gospel to them, okay? But there is this plasticity. There's this, this fakeness that, that is there that really comes with this busyness. But here's the interesting thing. I don't think they know it. Don't tell them, okay? We don't want them to know. But it's like, no, this is real. And, and what I'm presenting to you is real. And so the person was asking me, like, well, then, that seems like, isn't, you know, the perception of LA, LA is all fake too, right? Isn't that how LA is? And, and I said, no, here's the difference. LA knows when it's putting on what's fake. That's the job. We present what's fake and that's just, that's just what we do. It's not who we are. Right? And so we know that like, yeah, that's fake. But, but that's not what we want to spend time with. That's not what we want to do. That's just what we do. That's a, there's a separation. So the difference between San Diego is like, well, I don't know, whatever. Orange County, which is, this is us, I swear. And, and LA is like, hey, I know that's not real. You thought that was real? You from Orange County? Just so. Look, the reality is, is that we have to be people who, who recognize and know the difference between what's real and what isn't. And we have to invite people into what's real. And that gospel community, bringing around other people who are willing to be as transparent and broken as you are, willing to be as real with you and honest with you. You know what? It's okay to not be okay. You know what? It's all right that I'm hurting right now. You know what? I had somebody say to me once, man, I just lost another family member. And I was like, oh, I wish I had known. And they're like, I don't want to be that person. What person? Well, the person that's always got people die in their life. Like, this is our eighth family member or something. And I was like, oh, my God. Be that person. That's okay. We want to grieve with you. We want to hold you. We want to hurt with you. Like, we as a church want to come beside you. That's a tremendous amount of pain that you're carrying. You should not be carrying that by yourself. You weren't designed to carry that by yourself. We as your family are designed to weep with you. To not throw out platitudes or, or answers, but just to sit with you in that and be like, we love you. I'm so sorry you're experiencing that. That's what it means to let people in. We need to be in those places. And so we need to communicate who God is, what he's done, and who we are in light of that as we journey together on God's mission. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
We're going to move into a time of communion. This is the first day of the month, which is the day that we take communion together as a family. And um, I know some of you are already taking communion more regularly in your missional communities. You might be taking it weekly, which is really cool. It's a really good thing. But once a month, we bring everybody together and we celebrate the taking of communion um, as a whole. Jesus instructs his church to do that. It's one of the commands that Jesus gave us in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. Paul, writing to the people in Corinth, says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night that he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That phrase, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, is about continually remembering and telling what Jesus has done. It's like the feasts, parties that God made the people of Israel celebrate to keep remembering all that God had miraculously done for them. The feasts like Passover, which is what Moses started in that moment with Jesus in the burning bush. Did you know that Israel is still celebrating those feasts today? The last time I was in Palestine, we observed the feast, the festival of Purim. Purim is the celebration of Esther and God's triumph over Haman when he rescued the Jews and they were miraculously saved. In the same way, we continue to remember who God is, what he's done, who that makes us, and what we are to do as a result when we take communion today. Let's pray. God, you are absolutely incredible. And I thank you for all that you have done in us, that you are continuing to do in us, and that you will do in us. Lord, as we surrender to you, I ask that you would help us to be honest about our messiness, our brokenness, that we'd bring others into those places. Not for our credit, our glory, but for yours, that we could see, they could see, we could all see how you're transforming, renewing, and restoring day by day. We praise you for that. Thank you, Jesus.